0: Almost nothing to say about, it's called K-Itinerary, or when you launch it from your application menu, K-D-E-Itinerary. I've used this, but only briefly, and only once, and then suddenly a thing happened where I didn't travel for like, two years. And I just haven't resumed travel yet, for various reasons and so i i don't have a whole lot of uh, experience with k itinerary it's an interesting application though it, it does use i mean it's for your mobile and your desktop and it looks like it's one of those applications that's written in that kind of hybrid qml stuff so you can put it onto mobile and stuff like that and we just talked about the libraries involved in that i think last time right i mean it was uh what kirigami was it or something like that and, and i don't know how much of Kirigami is in k-itinerary. If any, I, I didn't look at the source code. Uh, in fact, I haven't even inst- I, I- I removed k-d-e itinerary, again, at a point where it was clear that I wouldn't be traveling anytime soon, and- and so I did get rid of it. Do I still have it on my mobile? I don't think so. I'm pretty sure I got it ri- rid of it on the mobile as well. But it's an interesting application, but you really kind of do need events happening to import into k itinerary to make it really useful you can import events lots of different ways you can open up a pdf ticket you can open up a calendar event you can scan a boarding pass barcode and, and paste the the contents in you can uh, use kde connect to uh, connect k itinerary with kmail all kinds of different ways to parse travel information and get it into kde itinerary and then presumably it helps you stay on on target so i am looking forward to trying k itinerary at some point when i start traveling again 2019 i was traveling so much that i went like up a level in the little airline you know level up system where you get supposedly special treatment if you're if you're traveling you know this often that that sort of thing I got like silver or something I was nothing. And then I got silver. Um, and that was pretty exciting to me at the time. I thought, wow, I'm, I'm a real business traveler. Just like you hear about, I love this. I was really having a great time. I mean, aside from the the 28 hour airplane ride that it takes to get from New Zealand to anywhere, but I mean, you know, in theory I was enjoying it and, and then something happened and I, I stopped traveling for a while. So, I do hope to get back to that maybe 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 arguably not as much as 2019, but a little bit of travel would be nice. And when I do that, I will definitely check out K itinerary. I think it's an exciting application. It's an exciting idea to be both on your mobile and your desktop and to have that information uh, available to you and updating your because I mean, when you're traveling, it's so it gets so confusing. and anything, anything that can make when does that plane leave is it an hour or is it three hours from now what time zone am i in you know that kind of thing if if k itinerary can help keep track of that it's huge it's a big deal now let's talk about k job widgets k job widgets is a uh, a a set of widgets for keeping track of progress on a on a on a job on a long term job in in the kde desktop a plasma desktop, so you have you have something that's taking a while you want to signal to the user that yes I am working on it. It's just gonna take a while. Maybe you want a little spinny wheel or maybe you want a, a Progress bar or whatever it is you want to use to show a user that you haven't crashed You're just processing information. You might find something useful in K job widgets of course when I say you and find and useful. I mean, if you're a developer, uh, KJob widgets is a collection of header files and CMake build specifications and some .so files uh, so that developers can can throw these widgets into a KDE application. Something that's using the KDE framework can use KJob widgets. Not a whole lot more to say about that, to be honest. Next up is kjots. Kjots is a note-taking application and uh, from what i know of it from what i understand of it 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 is also just called notes and notes is part of the contact um the contact suite in in uh, where you find um Kmail and the calendaring application and all those other things. So whether you want to launch KJOTS individually or whether you just want to launch contact and put notes in and then go down to the notes tab on the left hand side and then enter notes there, both of those ways work that they both go to the same place. They're saving to the same, probably database. I don't know. I didn't really look, um, And it's actually really quite handy. I mean, if, if that integrates with the rest of your, um, activities, uh, by which I mean, there are, there are certain things that I use contact for, and that tends to be for really mostly email, but I, I sometimes use the calendaring application in that not, not all that often, but I I do sometimes use that and that's kind of it. So I don't know if I would use KJOTS personally, myself, necessarily. Oh, K K Aggregator. I use that as well. Um, but interestingly, strangely, I always launch that on its own. I don't know why I do that now that I'm thinking about it. Um, anyway, so you, you know, if, if, if your sort of life control hub is, or rather your life control hub is contact, then, then maybe it makes sense to put your notes in there for me i all the note-taking activity i do i don't necessarily associate with contact i don't associate (laughs) with my like everyday life weirdly so i don't i don't use kjots all that often And, and again not for any good reason and in fact maybe it would be a good reason to start using it because there are advantages it uses a wiki like markup syntax so if you want to link between notes with little localized hyperlinks, it's super easy to do that. So if you've ever, if you if you recall at all, the note-taking application, uh, I think it was called Tomboy, and then there was another one after that called G G Notes. Is that? No, I'm making that up. Anyway, there was something. It's slipping my mind right now, but there were these applications for a while, these little personal wikis, and there are quite a few of them to be fair. I mean, there's tiddlywiki, which is really, really neat. No, is it? Yeah, tiddlywiki, um, really, really nice, uh, tomboy, or whatever that other one was, um, Kjots. I feel like I'm, I'm missing one. I think it's called like Zim or something like that. Maybe either way, little personalized little notebooks really for your desktop that I think the main advantage is that they are little tiny wikis so that you can cross link between the notes. And if you get into that, you realize how powerful that is. I don't know why I don't get into that. I, I, I really should. Um, and I might make it a priority to start using that more often. Right now, I don't. I don't do that. I just kind of put everything into like an org file, an org mode file, and save it into a relevant directory on my file system. Which, I mean, to be fair, that works for me. It works for me whether I'm on my desktop or I grab my USB thumb drive and go to a hotel somewhere. I know I just said I didn't travel, but I've do. I I've been traveling locally. No matter where I am, I have access to that. So it is, it's convenient in that sense, and I think Maybe in a, in a different world, I would be running KDE, both on my desktop and my laptop. And that way there would be, uh, I would be able to synchronize between those and, and still have the same basic experience. The application itself is relatively self-explanatory, but I'll give it a quick overview just in case you've never used anything quite like it, uh, before. So you can, there's a slot for notes. You can put notes in there, but you can also create notebooks within this big collection of notes, the, the notes collection is presumably the database where all of this is being stored. Um, so you can create notebooks, which are essentially folders within this, within this category, or if you prefer tables in the database. Um, so you got a notebook you can call it whatever you want. Maybe you call it open source notes or, or open source cheat sheets rather. And then in that notebook, you can create notes in the next little pane in the GUI, the next panel in the GUI. You can create individual notes. So you could have a cheat sheet for Emacs, you could have a cheat sheet for FFmpeg, for Parallel, for all of these things that you don't remember quite how they work sometimes. Uh, And then you might have another notebook called uh, Game Night. Maybe you're playing a legacy board game where you have to actually kind of keep track of progress between sessions. So you could have notes about your Gloomhaven playthrough and your Pathfinder card game playthrough and your um your Dark Cults playthrough and so on. So you've got different notes within the notebook. You got the notebooks collected in the notes sort of master database, bookshelf, essentially, right? Your bookshelf, your notebooks, your notes. Pretty simple. Um, the the editor for KJOTS is a GUI editor, so it is pretty self-explanatory. Uh, the, the one thing, I guess, maybe that you might not think to do is um, to create links between the notes, because if you don't, if you're not thinking about that, then, then it is something that you kind of have to remind yourself. Oh yeah, I can actually hyperlink between items in, in my notes. I I, I feel like we're, we're actually not terribly used to doing that generally. So you can uh, create links by highlighting a word and then clicking the link icon in the top toolbar. Or of course you could go to, I think it's format, no tools insert yeah tools link and then um, the link text here is uh, let's say well it's the word that i've highlighted castle and then the link url it's going to be anything i mean this is a this is a really a uri so it's it's a location that your computer could reach so it could be http colon slash slash example.com you could do that but more than likely you're gonna link to something one of your notes So let's say that I've highlighted the word castle, uh, within this Vistani camp note, and then I'll say, okay, well, then I'm going to link to my castle note, which indeed is in my notes castle. Um, and so I'll say okay to that. And now it links to the castle note. So I've got two notes, one of them linking to the other. The notebook itself auto generates. This is kind of cool. the notebook itself auto generates a running table of contents. It's quite nice in the correct syntax. So everything is linked to the individual notes and they're, they're listed. The notes themselves are also listed here in this sort of meta view of your notebook. So you, you have like a almost a single document that you can look at as if though everything was concatenated together. And similarly, if you right click on a notebook and go down to export, you can also export this as a text file or as an HTML file. So even if you do start taking notes in KJOTS, it's not like your information is locked up in this database somewhere off in VAR, lib, who knows where uh, it it you can you can always export it as a a completely universally recognizable format, making it it quite convenient I think, or as convenient I think as that that sort of thing is going to get. So it's 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 really nice. It's using a bunch of open standards. It doesn't do anything too weird. You'll always be able to get your data back out where you can parse it or put it somewhere else, import it into a different notes taking application possibly. Who knows? Okay. Next up is KJS, and let's just take KJS embed along with it. KJS, KJS embed. These are um, libraries that implement ECMAScript or JavaScript, better better known as JavaScript. Um, I'm I'm sure there's some technicality between ECMAScript and JavaScript, so I shouldn't have said that like that. But yes, it 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 implements the ECMAScript specification using, and and, and results in a JavaScript uh, engine that you can use in lots of different contexts. You can embed KJS within your KDE applications uh, using, like if you've written KJS and you've, you, you use KJS embed, then you can place the JavaScript into one of your your KDE application if you are a developer making a kde application Um, i think i I believe it can there is also a mode yes there is Uh, there's also a mode where you can compile this thing so that it only uh, uses cute uh, uh, system calls or cute um, calls and doesn't call out to kde framework so if if you don't want to use the kde frameworks but you still want to benefit from kjs kjs embed you actually still can which is pretty cool because, uh, you know, usually it's cute is great. Cute is great. Oh, there's this KDE layer that makes it even better. But once you transfer up into the KDE layer, you can't count on anything working on just the cute layer. It needs the KDE framework. Well, KJS is a a rare, I think a rare ish exception to that where you could actually use KJS just in cute without the KDE framework around it. So that's kind of cool. So you got KJS and um, KJS embed. There's a pretty good website called um, xmElegance.org KJS embed, and then the examples folder is the kind of the the, the place that they point you to. Um, there are, in theory, some uh, tutorials, but by their own admission, they're a little bit out of date. So. I guess you're, you're kind of meant to just look at the examples and reverse engineer it all yourself. And I did try a couple of them and none of them worked. So I don't know if that means that the examples themselves are out of date as well, or, or whether I'm just missing some component. but, uh, and I, I tried the obvious things, uh, like when it told me, Hey, I don't know where KJS embed is located. I, I tried for instance, changing the call out to or actually the yeah no the reference to kjs embed to kjs embed 5 which is uh how it's listed on kde 5 so i i I did try simple tricks like that just didn't work and i kind of gave up because realistically i'm not going to be using this and and it's a pity too because it, it seems like it should be a very cool little system but oh it's not kjs embed that i was looking for is it well, it's either KJS embed or KJS command that it was looking for. So, for instance, in calc.js and calc.ui, the the calc script at the top user bin on KJS cmd. Well, it can't find that. Cannot find a KJS command or cmd. But there is a KJS cmd5 on my system. So, changing that to KJS command5 and then trying to do kjs or calc.js rather uh, just tells me that the reference error can't find the variable factory can't find a variable factory leak in, fa- in line 583 kjs colon colon node so it sounds to me like i need c plus plus bindings for node or something but i would have thought that that would have been included in kjs embed so i mean i did include i i installed node just 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 on the outside chance that that's directly the problem and still, no, it doesn't work. So I couldn't get the examples to work. Seems like cool technology, but whatever the steps to getting it set up are, I don't know them. And so that's not working for me, but Hey, give it a shot. If you are frequently programming in JavaScript and KDE frameworks, see if it works for you. It does kind of make me wonder, about sort of the entry path to some of these things. And I, I wonder about that a lot. Actually, there are some times where you're programming in something and I, and I, I, it's just, it's a question of discovery, I guess. Like how do people discover the tools that they need when they need it? Because if you discover a tool before you need it or before you're ready for it, then it may as well not exist. So it, it's fascinating to me how people find the specifically the programming tools really, but uh, not even programming, I I guess just power tools, you know, because you can, you can find stuff and you're just not ready for it. It doesn't mean it's not meaningful to you or it's meaningful, but you don't have, you you have no application for it. You have no way to apply it to your real life. So it doesn't matter to you. you. You pass it by or you file it away for later, whatever you do, It's just not something that you can use right now. And KJS feels, it doesn't feel like that to me. I don't anticipate ever needing KJS myself, but it, it, that's what that made me think of is, is the, the, the process and how, how, how is it possible to sort of guide people towards things without, without keeping it secret and yet without promoting it too soon for them to even be aware of it. Maybe there's no such thing. Maybe the more lists you read online of here are X number of tools for X you know, for for this thing, then, you know, you you start just sort of internalizing some of those, those names, some of those libraries, some of those frameworks or whatever, some of those applications. And eventually you get back to it. If it's still around when you remember it, maybe that's the answer. I don't know. I've been meaning to do a hacker public radio episode for a long time of just kind of how you get into the things that some people want to get into. Um, and I, I, I stopped short of actually recording the episode cause I think, well, what works for one person like me, cause that's who would be recording it in this scenario might not work for someone else. You know, we all have different learning styles. It's probably worth a, a topic worth recording about though, because if anything, it will apply to people who have the same sort of brain process that I do and and it might inspire someone to record their own process. But for me, it definitely does part of the, part of the, part of the path, part of the self forged path is to inundate or immerse myself in information about a topic and, and I don't know if that's the most efficient thing. Cause there probably is quite a lot of information that's just going right over my head and, and maybe I should be letting it go over my head, but I don't know. In order to avoid all that stuff, you have to zero in on the stuff that's actually level appropriate for you. And that can be hard sometimes. And I, I, it's it's my theory that it's better to just dive in and be surrounded by even meaningless information than to keep hedging your bets and thinking, well, I won't, I won't go into that room until I, uh, until I've made sure that there's a book in there that speaks exactly directly to me and that just seems like you're putting a filter on a little bit too soon a little bit too early in the process whereas during the investigative mode i I feel like you should just you should be looking at everything or at least i should say i should be looking at everything filtering stuff out as it comes to me figuring out what i'm actually ready to understand and then process that information and then reinvestigate find the next level and go there anyway those are thoughts that kjs has inexplicably uh inspired me to think and i've passed it on to you you know what else i would like to pass on to you right now the permission not that you need it but the permission the encouragement the admonition to get a cup of coffee let's both go do that we'll come back take some listener feedback and then dive right back into the applications coffee has been acquired. So I, um, I not only acquired coffee, but I got a coffee grinder. Finally, I, it's been a long time since I've started buying whole bean coffee at a sort of a bulk store where you scoop out the coffee beans into a container. And um, I, I kept thinking that I should get a coffee grinder, but I kept using this food processor. Which isn't really the greatest for coffee grinding because it it's, it doesn't get enough. Um, I, I think it it doesn't it doesn't have an opportunity to grind all of the the beans. There's too much space in there, you know. Um, so I, I've been having a lot of pretty chunky coffee gr- grounds in 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 a lot of the different coffees that I make, and it just hasn't been great. And I don't know what it took took so long. I just felt for some reason that a coffee grinder was a step too far into the luxury into the realm of luxurious um purchases i just thought coffee grinder that just seems so extravagant to get a dedicated coffee grinder i mean i don't know why i thought that but it just i it just felt like something that that one shouldn't necessarily have to have and it turns out that yeah you really you you really need that like you, you should have a dedicated coffee grinder i mean if you're drinking coffee and you're buying beans you should get a coffee grinder um my coffee has gone way up like the the quality has 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 definitely improved since the coffee grinder so uh, i mean some stores so so one of the stores that i go to uh has a, a coffee grinder that that's the store in alexandria has or alexandra uh new zealand has a coffee grinder so i i would pre-grind at the store and then bring it back. And that's a little bit of a a faux pas in, you know, sort of the coffee world. Supposedly fresh grinding is is really preferable. I understand that. I I think that's probably correct. Um, But, you know, you just, you get by, right? Um, But there's this different store that I've started going to now over in Dunedin, and and they don't have a coffee grinder so for for several months i've i've been yeah trying to get by on a food processor with coffee ground with with coffee beans from this dunedin store and it yeah i'm so glad that i got a coffee grinder okay anyway what was i talking about oh yeah listener feedback listener feedback i thought i had more email than i apparently do. So I apologize to someone if you've emailed me. I will have emailed you back, I feel confident about that, but I just feel like I feel like I'm missing one from my collection here. But I could be wrong. So anyway, this is the one that I've been able to find. It's actually quite long, so I guess I'm going to... um, I guess I'm going to to sort of summarize some parts. Uh, it was a good email. It made me laugh out loud several times, to be honest. But um, the uh, the emailer has um, has f- uh, sent me sort of a glossary of sweetmaria's uh, dot com, which is like a what what is it? It's a yeah, home coffee roasting company of some sort. Uh, that that this emailer, the DNT is the emailer's name. DNT. So DNT. That that's the initials. D n as in november t as in tango delta november tango so um delta november tango says that sweet maria's is the place that they get coffee buy green coffee from a place called sweet maria's they have a a coffee glossary including an entry about fair trade going over to sweet maria's then uh, fair trade is an organized social movement and market-based approach to empowering developing country producers and promoting sustainability. Products are certified as fair trade under guidelines developed by FLO, I don't know what that is, and administered in the U.S. by Transfair. Its benefit is that it is a global effort coordinated by third-party certifiers. The problems are that it does not include the quality of the product. In other words, the taste of the coffee as part of the certification. It applies only to products produced by cooperatives. It also does not mean that the co- that the cooperative member, the one who grew and picked your coffee, was paid according to any standard. It just means that the cooperative was paid a minimum price and it is up to them to divide that among members fairly. In places I have been, I have seen electricity, brought in for co-op members' homes, schools built, clinics, etc. Great stuff. I have also seen extremely shabby conditions at FT, that's the fair trade, uh, co-ops worse than private mills in the area. We support FT while it is imperfect and institute our own direct trade program in places we we work with farmers, mills, and co-ops. In this case, we know that the farm was paid at the gate and we always pay higher uh than ft often by 50% 100% or more. So that's really really that that's a great perspective from Sweet Maria whoever Sweet Maria is. <laughs> of course you know, there's always the question, right? Well, What am I reading? Who who is this? How can I trust them? We don't know, but it I think this is great, a great great perspective honestly. Like the, that was that's the I don't know, strangely the most like sort of personal thing I've read about it on, on the internet. And I, I, I could believe this, this, this feels kind of, um, kind of legitimate to me. So, um, I mean, you have to start believing something, right? Otherwise everything's a conspiracy to trick you. So I don't know. I think that, that Sweet Maria's and, and the sort of the organization, uh, that that's a member of coffee shrub seems like an interesting and fairly legitimate story of of fair trade. Now, the, the disadvantage of... I realize that this isn't actually a coffee podcast, and I'm just talking about basically hearsay. But, I mean, it was brought up. I might as well address it. So, you know, assuming that someone in this world is telling the truth, which, again, you have to assume at some point that someone's giving you legitimate information, um, without going to coffee places myself to investigate this whole sordid affair, the fair trade agreement seems like it's actually relatively good as long as you can trust the co-op. And, I mean, co-ops often don't exist without sort of the involvement of, of the members. So I feel like in in theory that's it's probably more often than not, relatively safe to assume that more often than not the fair trade coffee is is being distributed among the the co-op members fairly i'm sure there are exceptions sweet maria says there are so that that sort of supports that uh the the problem of it being um it doesn't include quality like coffee taste that's not really a problem for me if i don't like coffee taste i i just won't purchase it again and I'm, I'm actually a pretty I, I tend to like I, I haven't really had like a horrible coffee roast I've, I've had a horrible coffee or I should say a horrible coffee bean I've had a horrible I've had you know roasts that are too dark I've had I've had roasts that are too I don't know something for however whatever method I was using to make that cup of coffee so for instance I've had coffee that I've thought, well, I probably should have made that as an espresso, not as a, you know, a drip or a, um, a plunger or whatever. So I don't know. I'm, I, I don't worry too much about like the quality, like the flavor, because most of it to me tastes like coffee. And then there are often subtle undertones here and there that I pick up on, but I'm not, I, I am not, I'm consciously not a coffee snob. I just like coffee. Okay. So that's, that's kind of interesting. It's very cool. Very interesting. Thank you, Delta November Tango. Now there's also this discussion uh about what what I was talking about in four, in episode four seventy-seven, um which which talks about sort of uh alternatives, I guess. And again, the premise here is that why is one thing an alternative to another thing? The, the, the terminology, you know, like, oh, you should use a, a, quote, standard tool or a normal tool. I actually kind of prefer normal because standard to me says, oh, a standard, a specification for standards? Why, yes, that sounds great, thanks. No, but this is sort of an arbitrary feeling that someone might have that what you're using isn't normal quotes lots of air quotes around that and what they use is quote normal and i guess you know what without being obtuse i mean look if you're in a room full of 20 people and you say let's do a Jitsi call and everyone looks at you and says a what and someone else says let's do a zoom call or a google meet call or a discord call and everyone turns to you and says okay cool pick one then you're the one that's not normal. I, of course, I defy that. I've I've lived most of my life being that person uh, for one, one reason or another, sometimes voluntary, sometimes less so. So I, you know, I have issues with that idea of sort of like, well, you're the one who's not normal here or n- the non-standard. So that's a problem for me anyway. But here we go. This is Delta November Tango. Then about 477, your story about getting mad, at people getting mad at you about using quote unquote non-standard stuff. I think many of us will be familiar with that. My coworker recently told me that sometimes she thinks if a lot of people like something, I'm not going to like it. It's as if though the only way people can fathom not following the same standards they do is if you're if you're kind of dishonest, a contrarian uh and then skipping down to his next story i'll never forget when i was in school i remember looking at a girl's profile on a social network and there was a section she could write something about herself and she wrote i hate everything that's alternative that really just blew my mind in this kind of way i can't imagine being a human being who would write that about herself but they are out there now in your case dnt here this is clatu dnt here is talking about me clatu so Back to DNT. Now, in your case, I might say, do you resist using their non-free platforms? Aren't you two putting the platform above the task? If you did, it would have to be because it conflicts with your other values. So you kind of put the task above the platform up to a point until it interferes with other values that you also care about. Then conversely, what do you think is the value that they're protecting when they refuse to use your bizarre, non-standard thing. Is it the value of just being a part of a bigger herd of people? Is it participating in capitalism? Is it just convenience? I wonder what it might be. Okay. So this is two again, skipped over some parts. Like I say, it was a pretty long email, but that's fine. I, I got the, the the main points out. And I think that this is a really interesting point, a really interesting question. Like, what are the, what, what's at stake here? And ultimately, I mean, I do, I do tend to believe ultimately, like at the end of the day, when it comes down to, to, to to making the decision, to making a choice, I do believe that people are more important than technology. I mean, you have to believe that you have to, because technology has no purpose without the people. So the people are obviously more important than the technology. And so if someone wants to connect with me on a personal level in, in, in a way that requires voice or video or both, uh, interaction and someone can't figure out how to configure their probably non-open source operating system to work on anything, but, uh, zoom, then, then I will, I will. I will click on their zoom link and I will interact with them through that platform, even though I don't trust the platform. And even though I have no interest really in supporting the platform, that hasn't happened often, often. Generally, I have some alternative that I can use, but as I've said in 477, there have been exceptions. People have, have taken exception to that. And, and so I, I have to change the platform that I want to, use, you know, th- that that's going to be used, that's acceptable for me. And for one hour or two hours or whatever the, the length of the the thing is, I, I use their choice in tooling. And it, it's simply because in the end, you have to put the people before the technology. And it's kind of annoying, you know, because I mean, how far do we take that? Well, this person just really, really wants to use Microsoft Office. Like that's just what they want to use. That's They won't learn anything different. Okay. Well, people more important than technology, I guess. I mean, that's, that's kind of like, that's why we're here now, right? Is, is that, that people's arbitrary decisions about what they will or will not learn seems to govern a lot of technology choices. And what that ends up doing is skewing really bad technology to become more popular. There's just no way that Adobe should be in business right now given their subscription plan. I mean, that's like the most anti-user, anti-consumer act that Adobe, I think possibly could do. And yet, and of course, when it happened, you'll recall, maybe if you follow this sort of thing, you'll recall the outrage, the people saying that they would never be using Adobe, that they were going to find an alternative. Of course, nobody did. And Adobe continues to make sales in mass for Photoshop and Illustrator and all these tools that people swear they will never use if they have to subscribe to it because they want to own their software. Well, no, you don't, you don't want to own your software. You don't care. You're too lazy. And, and that's, so that's, you know, that's, that's the reality, right? But okay. So what's the point? What's the solution? Well, there is no solution. You know, I mean, I think, I think the solution is that we, we continue, to encourage the use of open source software. And as I have often said, and will continue to say a lot, because it's an important point. If someone isn't looking at the source code, if someone isn't benefiting from the flexibility of having access to source code, like compiling it for some other platform other than the thing that's being, then it's being released, you know, easily for, then it may as well not be open source. There's no benefit there. I mean, even, Half the applications I've talked about in this episode, I've not looked at the source code for. I've not opened up the source code to KJOTS. I've not lo- looked at KJS and I even had a, a reason to look at KJS. It wasn't working. I should have looked at the source code, try to figure out why KJS and KJS embed wasn't working for me. I didn't cause it didn't matter to me that much. But I mean, at that point, who cares, right? I mean, like, wh- why is it important that KJOTS is open source? I'm not relying on it. I'll, I'll probably never look at the source code. Even if I start using it, and, and I'm not looking at the source code, what's the difference between using KJots and um, whatever whatever the thing out there of the day is? Is it Evernote still, or is it, has everyone switched over to Notion? I don't know. Whatever the big popular note-taking application is out there right now, I may as well be using that because I'm not benefiting directly from KJots. Now, to be fair. KJOTS is probably superior to both of those because the exporting options at least are practical and pragmatic with KJOTS. And I don't know what the exporting options for those other platforms are also access, huge, huge deal, right? So there, there are, I guess that was a bad example because there are directly, like I've, I've tried to settle for Evernote with, with a person they were using it. I was like, all right, that's the tool that you're using. I will, I will look at the notes through the Evernote website. It's fine. Now in practice, that's not fine because you don't have access to it. Um, they, they limit access based on sort of like how many instances you have open or something ridiculous like that. So maybe this is a bad example, but the point my, my point, and actually Adobe Photoshop is a bad example because again, access. So Microsoft word, let's do that. Microsoft word is you could write in that all day long, or you could write in LibreOffice and never look at the source code of LibreOffice. And you would, you have the same experience. There's no benefit of it being open source. But then again, you own that source code. And even if you never look at it, you own it. You know that you own it. And if it goes away and access to your data starts to become threatened, you have a copy of that, or someone on the internet has a copy of it and can fork it and can continue the work that went into it. Or at least they can put it on life support as it were, so that you still can you know, you can rescue your data, you can get your data out of that format and into something else or whatever. Open standards, super, super important. As important as open source, to be honest, because that's, that's your data, the open standards that that's what's keeping your data parsable. Those are important for video calls for video games, things like that. Honestly, at the end of the day, yeah, it, it arguably doesn't matter for sensitive topics that you maybe don't want um, you, you want some kind of assurance that it's not being recorded on someone's server, something like p 2 pchat is awfully good. Something that's actually just using web RTC and you can just make a direct connection with the person you're calling. There's no functionally, no intermediaries. Those are great platforms, but for, for casual everyday talks about the weather, does it really matter? Probably not. Should you put the person before the technology? Yeah, do that. You don't want to just, you don't want to, you don't want to put the technology in front of the people. That's, that's a drastic thing. It's not what technology is here for. It's counter, it's counter to the, to the message of open source. So sometimes you have to, as they say, meet people where they are, encourage them to branch out, look at open source solutions. Why? Well, there are lots of reasons and I've just listed them. For instance, we have access to the source code. So someone can make improvements. We have access to the source code. So it won't ever go away. We have access to the source code. So we know what's going on when we're running the application. Encourage people to use open source, but, but definitely put the people before the technology first, then get them, bring them to the technology slowly. It, it, it's sometimes a long journey, but I do think it's worth making, but it sometimes does have to start in the application of their choosing. Ah, there it was. That that was the conclusion. That was what I meant to say in episode 477. Thank you, Delta November Tango. Okay, next up is K-Jumping Cube. K-Jumping Cube is a game that I'd never... I don't know if this is... if there's an analog equivalent, I'm not sure, but it's a really clever turn- ter- uh, uh, game. I could see it being an analog game, like a physical game on a table. Uh, But there would be a lot of upkeep. It's a clever, clever system, though. So what what you have is an array of d6s, of six-sided dice, in a 6 by 6 matrix. You, on your turn, you flip a die, you you increment the die from, they all start at 1. So on your turn, you increment it to 2. And then on your next turn, you can increment it to 3, and so on. So once a die that you've been incrementing has quote, what is it? Uh, If a cube has more points than its neighbors, one point jumps to each of its neighbors. So in other words, and this is where it gets tricky because I swear that the computer's cheating. But if I click a die in the far left corner, it increments to two. Now its neighbors, to, from what I understand, is the die immediately to its east and its south. And each of those have one point, one two. two. So two is not greater than two, it is equal to two. So there is no transference of points. But now if I click it again to three, two points, two of those dots on the die go over to the neighboring die. So now I've got a, a die that is worth only one point, next to a die worth two points. So the diagonal neighbor doesn't count, and that means I think that its neighbors now for one of the two points die is one, two, three. So if I increment it to three points, don't jump because three is not more than three; three is equal to three. But once it gets over to four, then they will jump one, two, three, and then fourth for this, the 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 remaining one. So in other words, you're you're always giving up points to boost your neighbor, your, your, uh, yeah, your neighboring die either horizontally or vertically, not diagonally. You're boosting points to to, your, you're, you're giving up points to boost them. Uh, and, and that kind of encourages you really to start well, certainly to start in the corners because then you can, you know, because then your, your rate of incrementing is, is, is faster that way. Now, Once you get to, um, die that has lots of neighbors, then you're in trouble because now you're trying to get up. You have to click up until you get to a five to get more than for instance, four, because obviously four would be the the least amount of points. You could start not on a corner. Well, no, that's not true. On a side, you, you would have, I guess, three neighbors, right? Yeah. Um, so it gets tricky and the, the spread of these, of the die you're playing against the computer so you're you're trying to dominate the board and the spread of points it gets pretty difficult because it will ripple through so if i click something if i increment it up to five it spreads around and then if it bumps something from a four to a five then that spreads and and then if that increments something to something greater than that spreads and so on. So you you get a, a the, the board can change drastically because of this sort of exploding roll on effect. Which is kind of satisfying in one way, but in terms of gameplay, I have to admit it kind of draws things out. Um I, I don't tend to like to love games that sort of that draw out the end game. You know, you think okay 80% of the board is dominated by this one player. They're obviously going to win It's just a matter of, of just making the obvious choices, taking over the obvious portions of the board, and then it'll be over. And then suddenly you make a change and now you have 80% of the board. I I mean, I guess it's satisfying in the sense that, you know, it's not over till it's over, but for me, I don't know that just, I just feel like that prolongs (laughs) the, the, the game a little bit more than, than what I prefer. But it and, and in real life, you'd be flipping die left and right. I mean, it would just be so it would take so much upkeep. So I, I, I have a feeling that this is probably just a computer game. It is a good one, though. It's very cool. It is hard. It um, it's surprising, you know, because you have to you just got to keep your eye on on the different values it gets very difficult and like i say that that ripple on effect of where a point goes up into something and increments it so that now it tips over and distributes points it just it changes the whole board i just lost again as i was as i was talking you can expand the size of the board up to like 15 by 15. there's a couple of different style or modes of play or something like that i don't really know what those are there's kepler and there's newton i'm I'm not sure what the difference there is I, i don't really know uh, enough about Kepler or Newton to know sort of what that might sort of suggest and I didn't really see anything in the handbook about them I could have just maybe uh, skipped over it I will say that maybe there's a little bit of a slight I, I don't know how well the game sort of scales, you know in the sense that I Don't mean scales but like progresses. I feel like once you get the mechanics of the game which is increment die the only thing there's, I don't know about strategy is what I'm trying to say. I feel like at some point you just kind of, you get the strategy. Well, okay. It pays to click on more die and get a good spread than to concentrate on one die and boost it because ultimately I'm just going to get taken over anyway. So don't, don't bother with, with, you know, trying to get like getting a powerful die, just, just get as many die as you can. And, and and make sure that you're sort of mitigating uh, the threats. And, and there, there are a couple of times where I've been quite surprised. For instance, um, th- there's a die with a four on it, and there's a neighboring die with a four, which to me says that that necessarily can't be greater than... Uh, yeah, there's, there's a point at which then math doesn't quite add up to me, and I don't quite understand the equation because it just seems like yeah no i definitely don't understand that equation because if there's a die and there's a die next to it that is of equal value then all the die around it can't be less than one therefore that die should not ever spread to other die and yet there are there have been definite times where that exactly that exact thing does definitely happen and i don't i cannot figure out what the equation there is it it may be maybe it's because you're claimed so one two no it doesn't make sense yeah i don't know there's there's something fishy about the way that the math is is calculated which you wouldn't really think there would be that many variables but here's here's a die that has for instance um three on it no four on it and then i increment a a diet of three so now that's three three and buffered by two buffered by two so that's that's six eight ten that's a ten like no single d6 will ever be greater than ten so i don't understand why it is spreading points i don't i don't understand the math there um and i keep thinking well maybe it's because those are those belong to you but here's Here's a die that has a two on it, buffered by a die that I bu- that I own with a one, two, and then two die that I don't own, one, one. So if I increment this to th- oh three, yeah, no three, that should spread, but it doesn't. Meaning that yeah, no, the math doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to me. Maybe someone can explain that to me sometime. But that math does not make sense to me. Two, f- three, four, five, five spreads, again doesn't make sense. Yeah, I don't know. Something weird about some of the math in that game, um, and I'm not 100% sold on the strategy of it. I do feel like it might be sort of like tic-tac-toe, where once you kind of figure out the the strategy, I mean, you only have so many clicks, and you only have so many die, and so sort of the as, the 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 pattern can only you know there's 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 a finite variation in in what you can possibly do to strategize around that game but an interesting game a fascinating little game to play check it out that's k jumping cube simple dice driven tactical game fun fun little game read the handbook see if you can make sense of it i i thought it made sense but then there would be little things where i just thought that doesn't make that doesn't make sense all right next episode we'll talk about kldap we'll talk about cleopatra clickety k lines k mag and k mahjong means that I need to learn how to to play Mahjong finally, which, believe me, I should have a long time ago, so that's exciting. I'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. My name's Clatu. You can reach me anytime over email with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi. My email address is Clatu at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not Clatu at mastodon.xyz. The show's intro and outro music is by Fat Chance Lester. You can find their music We always have dinner every Thursday.